Good morning, Journey. I'm so glad that you are joining us. We are here. We are together, even though separated. The church is still the church, and I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. I uh, want to let you know, we're going to celebrate communion at the end of the service today, and you may need to make some preparation for, that, for, for communion. Uh, maybe you saw that I posted just a few minutes ago that I found goldfish and Sprite. That's what I'm going to use. Whatever you have, find it, get it ready. At the end of the service, we're going to celebrate communion together. Maybe even take a picture of it and post it in the comments as we go through this morning. One thing I know about all of us, we've all experienced disappointment. I don't even have to ask if you've experienced disappointment because I know you have. We're in a time right now of disappointment. There's a lot of things that are disappointing about what we're experiencing. The fact that we don't get to see each other is disappointing. The fact that plans are getting canceled. Proms are getting canceled. Spring break is tentative, probably canceled. Beaches are getting closed. Uh, maybe you've had the meeting that my wife and I had this week. We got the calendar out, and we just began to scratch through all the things that are going to get canceled. And what's difficult to know is how far out in the calendar we should go. Is this going to continue to Memorial Day weekend? Is this going to continue through the summer? Do we need to start scratching out those plants? Easter is right around the corner. What's going to get canceled with Easter, it's a disappointing time when you have to look at all of the plans that you made and start scratching them out. We've all been disappointed. And not just with events, not, not just with this current environment that we're in, but we've all been disappointed by people. There are people that we really put our confidence in, we really trusted, and then they let us down. Uh, we expected certain things out of someone, and over time we realized they just couldn't come through. People disappoint us. Plans can be disappointing. And if we're honest, the truth is not only have people disappointed us, but we've disappointed people. I mean, if we're really honest, we, we would admit uh, I, I've let some people down too. Uh, I, I've done things that I wish I hadn't done. I said things I wish I hadn't said. I, I broke a confidence. I, I, I broke trust that somebody had in me. I, I've been on that end too. I've been on the end of being the one who disappoints somebody else. We're all familiar with disappointments from both ends. Disappointment's not new. It's not novel. It's not original. We've all experienced it. Um, here's a thought related to disappointment. Disappointment is sometimes the result of misplaced hope. Disappointment is sometimes the result of misplaced hope. One of the reasons we sometimes get disappointed is we put expectations in something or someone or a plan that really... It didn't have the foundation to support that hope, to support that trust. We believed things about, about people or about our future that, well, our future and people just really couldn't support. They couldn't sustain. Sometimes our disappointments come from misplaced hope. And when we feel disappointment, if we sort of dig down to the bottom of it, what we may find is that we were trusting to a degree that wasn't healthy. We, we, had we had hope to a degree that wasn't healthy because 
there are times no one can fulfill our hopes, our plans, our trust. This idea of misplaced hope, trusting and believing in the wrong things, this is a theme of the next movement in the Bible. When we left off last week, we looked at how Moses led the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness when we get to Joshua, we find uh, that Joshua led the people into the promised land, settled the promised land. Now, they didn't defeat all of God's enemies. That was part of the problem. They, they weren't fully obedient to God. As a result, for years and years and years, Israel is engaged in ongoing battles because it, they didn't fully obey God. But Joshua leads them into the promised land where they settle the promised land. And I'd like to give you a quick, about a 700 year recap. It's going to take about five or six minutes. It may be good if you have your Bible to open up to the table of contents where all the books of the Bible are listed. Because I just want to walk us real quickly through a large part of the history of the nation of Israel. I have a timeline. I hope it kind of makes sense. Um, in, in the book of Judges, the book of Judges, we have a history where judges rise up to lead God's people. Now, judges were primarily military and civil leaders. They, they weren't necessarily spiritual leaders. The, the problem was, the longer this period lasted, about 300 years, the longer this period lasted the worse the judges became and the worse the people of God became. As a matter of fact, twice in the book of Judges, we're told, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. In those days, there was no real spiritual leader. Everybody was just doing whatever they thought was best. So this cycle began among the nation of Israel. And, and here's how the cycle went. God's people would sin. Then God would allow consequences of their disobedience to come. And he would bring judgment. He would try to wake them up, draw them back to himself. The people would then repent most of the time. They would turn back to God. They would realize what they were doing was wrong. And then God would bring a leader. He would bring a judge. The problem was this cycle just kept Repeating, The people would disobey God. Judgment would come. They would repent. God would bring them a leader. And as I mentioned, over time, as this cycle continued, the leaders got worse and worse. They, they, they were less likely to obey God. As a result, that disobedience spread down throughout the nation until nobody was obeying God. Eventually, the people decided what would fix this is if we had a different kind of leader. Instead of a judge, we want a king because that's what everybody else has. If we have a, a leader with a new title, a new job description, that will fix all of our problems. Give us a king. So the people go to a man named Samuel. He was a, a prophet, a, a priest. Some people think he was the last judge. He was the leader at the time. And this is what they say to Samuel. You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. So they decided, if we just get a new leader, that will solve everything. The, the interesting thing is, the, the pattern of the kings 
was very similar to the pattern of the judges. The first ones were pretty good. The very first one was kind of a train wreck, but the, the second one was David. The third one was Solomon. They did great things. So David becomes king and begins to lead the nation, and then Solomon steps in right here in uh, around not, about 970. Second Samuel deals with the life and the reign of David. First Kings is when Solomon becomes king. Uh, First and Second Chronicles, by the way, they retell that same story. So if you're ever reading through the Bible and it feels like it starts over, that's what happens in First and Second Chronicles. It kind of restarts the story with David and the kings. Well, we have hundreds of years of kings. What happens at the end of Solomon's reign is the people can't even decide which king they want. They thought a king would fix everything. Now they can't even agree on which king they want, so the kingdom divides. There's a northern kingdom of Israel, which is ten of the tribes, and a southern kingdom called Judah, two of the tribes. They have their own kings. They're doing their own things. But the same thing is beginning to happen. The kings are turning more and more away from God. Even David and Solomon, if you know their stories, they weren't perfect kings. They had times in their life when they turned away from God. Well, this divided kingdom continues for a couple of hundred years. And then the next period in the life of Israel is when the prophets begin to come. We have 200 years of prophets that speak to all of these kings and they say, you need to turn back to God. You need to stop trusting in people. You need to stop trusting in plans. You need to stop trusting in your strategies. And you need to learn to trust God. For 200 years, this message was coming. As a matter of fact, all of those prophets, the books of the prophets in the second half of the Old Testament, you could put them right over the book of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles because they happen at the same time. All of the kings are ruling. There's about 20 kings for the northern kingdom and about 20 kings for the southern kingdom after Solomon. And the spiritual climate of the country, the spiritual climate of the people continues to decline and decline until eventually the northern kingdom is attacked and destroyed. And then in 586, the southern kingdom is attacked and carried away into captivity in Babylon. The Babylonians had been attacking the southern kingdom for years and they had been taking people away into captivity. In 586, Jerusalem falls, the temple is destroyed, and all of God's people are taken away into captivity. They had been trusting, they had been believing in the king. But the king couldn't stop any of this. The, the king couldn't prevent what was happening in the life of the nation. As the, as the nursery rhyme says, all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Israel back together again. There was a period in David's reign when he wrote this verse, Psalm 20, verse 7. We're going to study the Psalms next week. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What a great thought. What a great theme for a king to believe. Some trust in horses and chariots. Some people trust in what they can see. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. The problem was the people didn't 
always fully trust in the name of the Lord, their God. They began to trust in people. They began to trust in their own plans. They began to trust in their own abilities instead of their God. Now, we could look at this period of the kings, the judges and the kings, and we can analyze their leadership abilities, and, and, and that's valuable information. We can analyze who led well and, and who led poorly. We could analyze who listened to wise voices in their administration and who listened to foolish voices. There's, there's wonderful Godly leadership lessons all throughout the period of the judges and all throughout the period of the kings. But if you dig down deeper, beyond just leadership lessons, what you find is the greatest failure of the people of God was they kept taking their eyes off of God and they kept putting their eyes on a person. They kept believing, well, this person's gonna save us. Well, this person's gonna make life better. Well, this person's gonna solve all of our problems. They kept taking their eyes off of God and they began to put it on a person or they began to put it on a plan. We should make a treaty with those people even though God said not to make a treaty with them. We should make a treaty with them because that'll be better. We should allow those people to bring their false gods into our country because we'll get along better even though God had said not to do that. The people took their eyes off of God and they began to put it on their human leaders and their human strategies and plans. Now listen, we need good leadership. We, we need leadership and we need plans. But at some point we have to ask, what is the foundational source of my hope and security? What am I ultimately counting on? What am I ultimately believing in? If everything else gets stripped away, are the things that I'm really trusting in and confident in, are they capable of sustaining me in the difficult times? See, our hope has to be in something bigger than us. Our hope has to be in something bigger than plans. Here's a reality about humans, about all of us, about our nature. When we feel a sense of insecurity, we immediately start looking for control. When we feel out of control, we start looking for anything that we can control, anything to try to bring normalcy back to our lives. And sometimes we look for a person. All right, this person knows, so I'm gonna look to them. I'm gonna listen to them. Some of us, uh, when life gets out of control, we become list makers. Like we start writing our list down of all the things we need to do and all the things we need, uh, the, all the things that we can control. And, and I'm that way. I'm a list maker anyway, but I get, I get really into list making when life seems out of control. Some of us do that. That's our coping mechanism. Some of us Google a lot. We start Googling topics and trying to find answers, trying to get more information because information makes us feel like we have control. We get on WebMD, which is a really big mistake most of the time because whatever we search for, we immediately think we have all of those symptoms. But some of us look to information. We get online, we start typing. We, we try to gain control over the things that are out of control. But here's the thing. In these times of insecurity, when we feel like life is out of control, we can be tempted to look to inadequate sources for ultimate control. 
Because we, because we want control, because we want things to be normal or to settle down, we can be tempted to grab onto whatever is close by, whatever is available, whatever gives even the slightest promise of feeling like we're in control. Have you ever been on an airplane and the plane hit turbulence? It dropped a little bit or, or it's, it, it, the ride got bumpy for just a minute. You know what everyone does the first time that happens when you're not expecting it? Everybody does this, right? Everybody reaches for the chair next to them or the seat in front of them or the, or the arm or the person that's sitting next to them. We have this reflex that when we feel physically out of control, we reach to try to steady ourselves. It happens to us in our sleep sometimes. Uh, it's called the hypnic jerk. I didn't know that. I had to Google it. It's called the hypnic jerk. It usually happens just as we're starting to, to fall asleep or just as we're about to wake up. When you're in that dreamlike state, sometimes you'll be dreaming that you're falling. You stepped off something and, and, and you suddenly fell and you know what happens. In the middle of your sleep, laying in bed, you do this, right? My wife loves it when I do that. She just, that's her favorite thing. Is in the middle of the night, she's in a dead sleep and I do this because I'm, I'm dreaming that I fell. We have this reflex, not just in our sleep, but all the time that when things are insecure, we feel like we're not in control, we try to grab for control. We try to steady ourselves. Now, back to the plane example. If the plane is really going down, if, if there is a catastrophe looming, grabbing the armrest is probably not going to help me. Right? I will just be holding on tightly as we crash, holding on tightly as we continue to go down. That armrest is not going to save me. We, we do this sometimes in life. In life, when things are out of control, there's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of, we don't know what's next. We reach for something to steady us, and all too often, we reach for the wrong thing. We reach for whatever's close by. This theory, right? this conspiracy, this person, this 24-hour news channel, social media. We reach to try to establish control, but the thing that we're reaching for really is not going to give us a foundation of confidence and strength. Most of the time in our life, we can get through those seasons of insecurity, get through those seasons of feeling out of control with coping mechanisms and, and just giving it enough time. Uh, there's the saying, control what you can control. Right? I think Olaf said that. I know some of you parents have seen Frozen 2 about 500 times since this whole thing started. You know, Olaf said, you control what you can control. All of that's good advice. The problem is... There are times you are really out of control. The time that we're in right now reminds us how quickly everything can change. Reminds us just how elusive security really is. I mean, if you think about it, this, 
This time that we're in reminds us that security itself is an illusion. Like thinking that we are in control is an illusion. Maybe it's a good illusion. Maybe it helps us survive from day to day. But the changes we have seen lately, just, just how quickly everything has changed. I, I posted earlier this week, uh, there's a restaurant that still had Happy New Year 2020 on its sign out front. Which is kind of amazing because 2020 at this point seems anything but happy. But the other thing I thought about was if we could rewind to January 1st, 2020, which was 11 weeks ago. I know it feels like 11 years ago. If we could rewind to January 1st, 2020, and if someone had described what we're going through right now, we would have never believed them. We would think they had been reading some dystopian novel and they were telling us what happened in this novel or what happened in this movie that was about to come out. On January 1st, 2020, we really would not have believed the circumstances that we're in right now. It's just a reminder. Things change so quickly. We really don't have control when we walk through these times, though, it helps us strip away all the things we've been trusting in. It, it helps us pull back all the things that we put confidence in. And listen, we need leaders. Right? Information's good. We should be prepared. We should know what's happening. I'm not dismissing any of that. I'm just saying when it comes to control, when it, when it comes to confidence, the foundational level of our confidence, none of those things are going to fully satisfy what our soul needs. We're not in control. So you know what? You can control when you're not in control, right? We can control what we reach for when we feel out of control. We can control. We can decide. When my life is out of control, here's what I'm going to go to first. Here's what I'm going to trust most. Here's what I'm going to believe first. You should be prepared. You should pay attention. But your trust is not to rest in things in this earth. Right, we've, we've kind of substituted modern day horses and chariots like David was talking about when what we need to trust is the name of the Lord, our God. The one who is eternal. The one who is solid. The one who is strong. The one who is all-knowing and all-powerful and able to do all things. He knows what has happened, what is happening, and what is going to, to happen. He is the one... Ultimately, we can rest our trust in. Let's not be like the nation of Israel who for hundreds of years kept looking to people and looking to plans. We're going to trust this. No, we're going to trust. That didn't work out. We're going to trust this. Let's trust in the name of the Lord our God. Because here's the truth. In times of insecurity, in times of us not being in control, it does me no good to grab something that's going down with me. And I think that's what a lot of us are doing right now. We're grabbing for things that can't bear the weight of our hope and our confidence. We're grabbing for people who really don't know any more than we know. 
We're reposting things on social media from people that don't know any more than you or I know. Our confidence has to rest in someone who is bigger than this situation. Someone who is bigger than our fears. Someone who is bigger than our insecurities. One of the benefits of what we're walking through is it's stripping us, it's stripping away our illusions of where our trust belongs. Where our confidence belongs. One of the prophets, a man by the name of Isaiah, wrote this in Isaiah 33, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with His justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. He will be the sure foundation for your times. And and yes, he's speaking to the nation of Israel, but the nation of Israel is in an uproar just like we're in an uproar right now. There's uncertainty for them thousands of years ago just like there's uncertainty for us right now. And God says, I will be the sure foundation for your time. You can trust me. Push back the anxiety. Push back the insecurity. Stop looking everywhere else. I will be the sure foundation for your times. Isaiah 28, the prophet writes, So this is what the sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. That's how much you can trust God. You don't have to be overcome with panic. We feel things right now. We feel worry. We feel those things. God says, you can trust me so much that you can push that back. You can believe me. You can can count on me. I am with you. I am the sure foundation, the cornerstone of your hope and your belief and your trust and your faith. What the people of God thousands of years ago didn't understand was the the cornerstone was going to come in the flesh. Our ultimate confidence, our ultimate Savior was going to come in the person of Jesus. He was going to put on human flesh and He was going to walk this earth. He was going to heal and, and teach and love and He was going to live out the message of the kingdom of God and then He was going to lay His life down. But He was not just going to die, He was going to rise again to say to us, You can put all your confidence in me. You can trust me fully. I've even overcome death. I've overcome the grave. I've overcome hell. You can trust me. I hope in this time, if not before, you're putting your hope in Jesus. You're putting your faith in Jesus. You're trusting Jesus. If you have never done that before, if there's never been a moment where you realize your need for forgiveness and your need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the foundation of everything, I hope it'll be right now. Wherever you are, in in your living room, in your kitchen, wherever you're sitting right now, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you, do that now. Give Him everything. Trust Him fully. Become a follower of Jesus right now.
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Listen, if that's you, I, I don't know where you are. I, I don't know who you are. I, I just think somebody's watching right now who needs to give their life over to Christ. Maybe you've been resisting it. Maybe you've not had much interest in spiritual things. But, but right now, God has prepared your heart for this moment to put your faith in Jesus, to realize your own sin and your own disobedience, to put your faith in the fact that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again for you. I would encourage you to pray something like this. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You could put it in your own words, but give your heart to Christ today. You could pray something like this. Father, I know that I've disobeyed you my focus has been on anything but you. But I believe that Jesus came for me. I believe Jesus lived for me. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again for me. And today, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. I will follow him the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to celebrate the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus. We want to celebrate the fact that we not only know Jesus, but we can put our confidence in Him during this time that we're walking through for thousands of years. Going back to the night Jesus was betrayed, the church has celebrated communion, the Lord's Supper. I don't know how often they've celebrated it the way we're about to, but part of the beauty of what's about to happen is all over this county, all over the state, wherever you may be listening from, we're joining in a ceremony that the church has been participating in for thousands and thousands of years. And in one sense, given our circumstances, it it really doesn't matter what the elements are. Just one second. Like I said, I found goldfish and Sprite this morning. It really doesn't matter what the elements are. What matters is what this represents. That Jesus has come to be our Savior, to be with us. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to invite you into this time of celebrating the body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we come to you right now in living rooms and kitchens and back porches and front porches, disconnected physically but fully connected spiritually. We thank you that you were willing for your son's body to be broken for us. We receive this. We receive this knowing the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Let's eat. Paul went on. In the same way after supper, 
He took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. God, we, we come together. We join our hearts together around the beauty of the story that says the blood of lambs and goats were not enough. Could never take away our sins. But the blood of the perfect Savior, the Son of God, could wash away all sins for all people, for all time, for anyone who would put their faith and trust in you. We remember you today in Jesus' name. Amen. In remembrance of Jesus. Paul finished this section by saying, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, and we might say for wherever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And all over this area, in homes, on porches, in living rooms, we have proclaimed the death, life, resurrection of Jesus this morning. This is the time in our service where we would normally worship God in our giving. You can do that online by going to our website, welcometojourney.com. You can mail your offerings in. Be faithful to what God is putting on your heart when it comes to generosity. We want to we follow this time in the Lord's Supper with just a little more worship. So don't go anywhere. Don't, don't turn your device off. Would you sit up a little bit more? Now, after having received the Lord's Supper, and would you enter into worship again with us? Sing as we move back into a time of worship.